Thank you, Miss Angela. I'm glad to get her back on the schedule singing. Great, great message. Thank you for that. We're going to dismiss our children now for the, their children's meeting in the fellowship hall and three years to third grade. And, and our King's kids will be starting up um, here within the next week or so. I'm not exactly sure the exact date right in front of me, but um, just, just coming up here soon. They're getting everything ready. And I'm very thankful and excited for that. Um, the Smiths are going to become Hoosiers, you know, it's uh, just the ring isn't quite there yet, but it, it'll, it'll, it'll set in. And, uh, but we're glad for the fact that where God leads, he equips and, and uh, we look forward to seeing what God will continue to do uh, there through the Smiths um, in a different role, but in, in a place where they have been ministering for some time. So we need to continue to pray. I do want to have a special moment of prayer here before we get into the message. Ms. Kim Bartlett's been uh, diagnosed with cancer and, and it's been uh, pretty aggressive. And so this coming Friday, she's having a very aggressive radical uh, mastectomy that'll be taking place and removing practically all the lymph nodes, if I understand that correctly. And, uh, and it's even for the for those who are completely trusting the Lord, there's still, it's a, if you haven't crossed that before, there's some question marks and there's some unknown factors. And again, this is a good reason for a church family in times like these. And so I want to ask Miss Kim to come. Miss Susan, would you come up here with her? And, and Miss um, Patsy, if you'll join, um, who's been really staying uh, in, in touch with Miss Kim and I want you all to stand up here, and then we're going to have the church family come around you. We're going to pray here tonight, and, and Miss Kim got off work just to come here because I wanted to be able to take this time of prayer, and I and, uh, and Essa, just go ahead and come on around, and, and then uh, Miss Kim's got to get back to work, and so she's just in the midst of all that's going on. She's got a lot on her plate, and um, some of you have been down this road maybe yourself or with a family member um, understand that there, there's a lot of those things your your own understanding and your own experience it doesn't quite bring the consolation that is needed to somebody and really what what miss kim needs is is you to pray and for you for her to know that that you love her and support um, her through this and sometimes it's just being silent but available. And so let's pray and let's just look to the Lord at this time to bring the comfort. He's the God of all comfort. And so Dr. Childs, um, can I ask you to lift your voice in praying for Miss Kim at this time? That's right. That's right. Mm. I pray, Lord, that you give her real 
That's right. That's right. Yes. That's right. That's right. Yes. Amen. 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 That's good. <laughs> Amen. John chapter 21 tonight. John chapter 21. Then I'm going to ask another prayer request. And uh, I spoke with one of our missionaries out of Canaan. Um, it's Paul Brock there to Stuttgart in Germany. And... Um, and I told him we'd pray, and he had their service. He had his service, Wednesday night service, a little while back, um, a few hours back. They were, uh, they were ahead of us. And um, we, I asked that you just pray. Just pray there. He, he's, he's doing a good work. He's protecting, as the pastor should, the church. And but there's a battle. It's a spiritual battle that's taking place. And, um, and so... I, I, I'm just being vague, but I want you to just pray. And um, you've got people uh, oftentimes within a church that don't understand how church works. They understand their concept of church. And um, we just pray that the Brocks would have God's leadership and wisdom, his strength, and to be able to stand. And, um, and let's, let's see God work. He said the service tonight went well. And um, he, he felt the Lord gave liberty, but it's, um, it's, it's when people think that the church is run completely as a democracy and they start trying to, um, to get their people, they're, they're trying to get votes and, and, and undermine what, what is already set in the bylaws. One, it's not legal. Two, it's not spiritual. And, but yet you got people, this is what they do in, in their business. This is what they do maybe in their military service. So they think this is what we do in church. But there's a danger. Um, and I, I reminded Brother Brock. Uh, so the, the thing is in Revelation chapter number one, we find that it's the Lord who holds the pastors in his hand. And that's God's authority. And Jesus said in Matthew that the gates of hell, the authority of hell cannot prevail against the church. And I told him to remind the people there's only one of two places. They're either going to be on God's side or they're going to be on the devil's side. And the devil will use somebody even like Peter 
And Jesus saw through that. Then he sees through it now. While Peter's talking to him, he recognized this is Satan. And um, that's just, it's a, it's a battle that someone who goes against the authority of God and the authority of Christ's church, his bride, you will never win. You'll, you'll just never win. And, um, but what Brother Brock needs is, I think, again, is leadership wisdom that God would give him leadership for the next step and next step and give him the strength. And let's pray that God would vindicate truth before these people I hate to see them take the wrong side and the devastation that it'll be uh, to them, their family, their careers, whatever else. And um, Brother Brock was able to speak with Brother Kraft and he was able to give some help. And, and um, we just need to pray. It's our responsibility. He's one of our missionaries out of Canaan Baptist and he's doing a great work. I'm very thankful for what God is doing there, but we just need to see, see him work. I told him if I could get on a plane today, I'd get there, and, uh, but I couldn't, still couldn't have made it in time for the service, but, but I'd be willing to do that, and if I couldn't, I thought, I didn't tell Captain Levy, but I'd put him on the plane to get there, and, and uh, just, I just want him to be encouraged that, that, that God's at work, and God's at work over there, God's at work over here, and God's at work. John chapter 21, verse number 1. I'll let you remain seated. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then saith then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple, whom Jesus loved, saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, and a hundred and fifty and three, and for, all there, and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and die. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? 
Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He, Jesus, saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Without a doubt, Jesus calls us to follow him. Yet as we go through life's journey, we can either chart our own course or we can follow the path of Jesus. Twice in this chapter, in these verses, verse 19 and verse 22, Jesus said the words, follow me. I think that sums up the message of the gospel of John. In fact, I think it sums up the entire message of Jesus in the last 2,000 years of the church. Follow Jesus. The question then begs the answer, will I follow Jesus? Will you follow Jesus? I think we tend to take God's presence for granted. We assume that because Jesus said He will be with us always. I think that we have the tendency to assume that wherever we go, He's going. But the truth is, Jesus does not follow us. He said we are to follow Him. Jesus is not to be invited into your activity. He's invited us into His. Jesus said in John 15 and verse 16, You didn't choose me, I chose you. See, following Jesus requires absolute, total abandonment of self, surrender to Him, and complete obedience. He doesn't seek your counsel nor mine about which direction we think is suitable. It's not even like signing up for the military and them asking, what would you maybe like to do? Now, God's not interested in our counsel. He's not interested in your limited observation. 
He's not interested in hearing the dictates from your heart when you're not even close to being God. See, the truth is God already knows what is best without ever consulting with any of us. In this passage, we see certain pictures, I believe, of the believer in trying to follow the Lord and the danger that this mindset can create. And there's a responsibility we'll see attached to these here in a moment. I want to preach tonight on this thought. In fact, this was on my heart leading into Sunday's message because Sunday morning and continuing in our end of Galatians, we're going to get to that matter of not being weary and well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint not. And so tonight, I want us to see, because there is much to be said in the Bible about that, I want to preach on this thought. What do you do when the excitement is gone? What do you do when the excitement and the fun is gone? And you feel like quitting. Well, let me remind you, quitting is not the answer. Quitters. Everybody knows one. Almost everyone has been hurt by one, but nobody wants to be one. What do you do when the excitement, the fun is gone and you feel like quitting? God has an opinion about it, and it would serve us well to get His mindset. You see, one of the most discouraging aspects of ministry is that the average church attender's inability or unwillingness to stick it out. The, the inability or the unwillingness to be faithful to see God work. When the going gets tough, Many go as well. When the way gets demanding, the ranks thin dramatically. may not be aware of it, but many men who stand behind the pulpit preaching, they face the same temptation to quit. Men leave the ministry at alarming rates today. At least part of the problem is the unreal expectations and then the pressures that are assumed that should have been cast upon the Lord. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, quote, I feel as though I had created a great machine and it is ever grinding, grinding, and that I may yet be its victim. No one knows the toil and care I have to bear, end of quote. That's Spurgeon. H.B. London and Neil Weissman, in a book entitled Your Pastor is an Endangered Species, says that, quote, pastors dwell in a world of unfinished tyranny where they can't shut the door, walk out of the office, or know that something is completely finished. There's always another Bible study. There's always another sermon, a phone call, a committee, a hospital call, a home visit, a counseling session, or gathering, clamoring for attention, end of quote. I'm simply saying that no one is exempt from this. And by the way, don't let something like that say, well, that's why I don't want to bother you. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not bothered with ministry. Uh, I am here for ministry. In fact, I am obsessed. Uh, as Paul wrote, I am addicted to ministry. But I'm addicted to helping people who want to be helped. And when someone doesn't want help, 
I don't find much time. I find some responsibility, but my responsibility is to help you see your blind spot and get back to Jesus. But if you want help, if you want to see God work, if you want some miracles, I'm available. Peter is an example here, I think, in this passage for us to help us with an understanding of one of the first preachers who wanted to quit. And tonight I want us to see three things that can come into a quitter's mind. What is it that, that we entertain? What is it that is often thought before we quit? Whenever we lose the excitement and the, the joy is gone, the happiness fades, the fun is over, I no longer enjoy doing for God what I used to do. I no longer enjoy the gathering and the being where I used to gather and be. What are the thoughts that goes through their mind? I think Peter helps us. Now the resurrected Lord, he promised to meet up with these disciples in Galilee. Lord willing, in just a few weeks, uh, the Autrys and the Smiths and, and the Thomases, we're going to be at this spot and we're going to get to see this at, when we go over to the Bible lands. And the disciples went to Galilee and they waited for Jesus. That's what he told them to do. And they waited. And they waited. When some days had passed and still Jesus had not shown up, the disciples and primarily Peter became impatient. Peter, disappointed in the delay, announced, I'm going back to do what I used to do. I'm going back to do what I know to do. I'm going back to what is comfortable. Now there's nothing innately wrong with him going fishing, but the problem is what was going on deep down inside. See, a lot of times people say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. What am I doing wrong? You point out what's wrong. Tell me what's wrong. There's nothing wrong that I can see. You can't point out anything wrong. Usually that's a good indication something's wrong. There's not anything wrong with the fishing, but what was wrong was what was wrong deep down inside. And we're going to see that in a moment. Peter and the other disciples were really drifting away from God. And they could use all of their resume and all the things that they were doing to deflect from the fact that anything was wrong. But they were drifting from what God was calling them to do. In fact, they were drifting away from just waiting. God called me to, to serve him, they could have said. But now he's telling us to wait and he's not even showing up. Did you know that God's clock looks different than our clock? And so there are certain questions that, that go through our mind, whether you ask it as a question or you make it as a statement, but there are certain things that are indicators that something is off before we quit. The first thing I want you to see, and we see this in the first four verses, and that's when Peter, he made the declaration, I'm going to go fishing. And that is asking the question, and this is what you don't want to ask, while serving God. This is what you don't want to ask and entertain when you're trying to, to uh, follow the Lord as he declared. And that question is, what am I missing? What am I missing by being in church on a Wednesday night? What am I missing by being all in for God? The, see, the first danger we face that could cause us to quit is looking in the wrong direction. Oh, what am I missing? After the crucifixion's trauma, the resurrection's toil, Peter and the other disciples, they've gotten discouraged. 
There's no reason to be discouraged. But yet, that's where they find themselves having to wait for the Lord. They get impatient. Isn't that the very, perhaps the very reason they were to wait upon the Lord? It's to help them with their selfishness and impatience. So they begin to look back on the good old days. The good old days before things became complicated. And who can blame them? I mean, the days when there was a daily routine that could be counted on, where there was security of knowing what was next and the satisfaction of just running their own lives and business. In verse number three, we see seven of the disciples gathered at Peter's home in Capernaum. They're waiting for Jesus and Peter's impatient, impetuousness. He declares, I go fishing. And they say, we also go with thee. Now, Peter is ready to quit preaching and go back to what he knows best, and that's fishing. Peter was very persuasive, or the other disciples were just as disgusted as he was. For seven of the eleven went with Peter, and three of those who were not even fishermen, they said, we'll go with you as well. We're tired of waiting on God. You're never going to find miracles until you learn to wait on God. Perhaps you're under the impression that you're the only believer who feels like quitting. No, you can go back to the Old Testament. You find them as well. They're in the Old Testament. They're in the New Testament. They're in the church here tonight. That's why we don't go off of how we feel. Peter was looking back. He tried to go back to his comfort zone. He began to think, hey, if this ministry thing doesn't work out, I can always go back to where I left off. Luke 9, 62, Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow, looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus said, remember Lot's wife? There's not a lot to remember. But what do we remember? She looked back. And Jesus is saying, don't look back. Don't look back. You didn't leave anything back in that sin hole that he saved you out of. Looking back means that our orientation is in the wrong direction. Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14, Paul writes, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We must keep our eyes fixed and focused on the job God has called us to do. Well, that's my point. I'm trying to do this job and I'm getting interfered with. I'm trying to do that. No, your job is to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Verse number three, they go back fishing. Notice what happens, how great of a, of a miracle took place. The Bible says they went forth, entered into a ship immediately. And, and when people get impatient and sideways and carnal, they tend to do that faster than they do serving God. And then the Bible says, and what happened? Great success. No, they caught nothing. See, what Peter discovered is very important. He discovered you can't go back. No, you, can, you can try, you can do all that, but you, you can't go back. So why try to go back? Let me try to put it this way as eloquently as possible. Not that I'm good at that, but I'm going to try. 
There ain't nothing more depressing than catching nothing. Was Brother Cherry and I were working on Vision Sunday, and we were looking at some different quotes, were some some different things, and uh, we were reading a quote, and it said, "I wish I had it in front of me, but along the lines, there's nothing sadder, more discouraging than to work at climbing this ladder." And you get to the top rung and you find that you had it leaning on the wrong wall. See, Jesus was showing Peter, you can't even fish without me, Peter. You're not guaranteed to find success outside the will of God. God may let the devil bless you. But why would you settle for the devil's blessing when you can have God's unlimited resources? And it wasn't until the Lord showed up to give them specific instructions on fishing that these former professional fishermen got even so much as a bite. See, the lesson for us is that we cannot go back and not with success. Why? Because God made us to follow Him. We belong to Jesus and things will never be the same. Thank the Lord. Your future with the Lord is only as exciting if you follow Him. So don't ask, what am I missing? I'll tell you what you're missing. You're missing heartache. You're missing misery. You're missing a lack of joy in your life. That's what you're missing. I'm missing out on fun. Well, fun dissipates. Fun ends. Why do they go to the bar? Why do they drink all night? Why do they fornicate? Why do they, they're looking for fun. Why? Because they haven't met Jesus. And so why would God's people who say, I'm not doing those things, I'm not looking to those things, why would you still be missing what God is trying to give you Maybe it's because your orientation is off. You're looking for what am I missing when the simple answer is follow Jesus. Look at verse 4. When the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus appears on the beach early the next morning. The disciples spot him. John identifies him as Jesus. Peter, the man of action, he's the one who jumps into the water. He swims to shore. They gather together. Jesus prepares them breakfast. After breakfast, Jesus takes Peter aside to speak to him privately. And in verses 15 through 17, we'll jump there. We see a second common misconception. Notice in verse 15, so when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Verse 16, Jesus says to him the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Verse 17, the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? The minute you stop and you begin to entertain this next line of thinking, it's going to lead to your quitting. So don't ask if you want to be a success for God and you want to be blessed by God. Don't ask, what am I missing? And don't ask, number two, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? When you ask what's in it for me, you're already in trouble. 
For if we serve God for any other reason than love, you're going to run out of steam. Three times Jesus asked Peter this question. When Jesus said to Simon, do you love me? He's literally saying, Simon Peter, do you agape me? He's using love, that highest form of the Bible love. Agape is the God kind of love. For God so agape the world. Do you love me that way, Peter? Do you love me more than these? More than what? Well, there's a couple possibilities. Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me more than you love these fish? That's fair. He quit on Jesus to go back to these fish. Peter, do you love me more than this? I also think, I kind of lean towards him saying, Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples? You want me to gauge my love based upon these other guys? Well, that's not what Jesus is wanting, but Jesus is saying, Peter, you're the one who made the statement. You're the one who said, if everyone else denies you, I'm not going to do it because no one's more loyal to you than I am. Peter, do you love me more than these, others, these other disciples? And fresh in Peter's memory is his denial of the Lord after boasting that he would never abandon the Lord. I love Jesus more than these other disciples. Well, how could he who denied Jesus three times claim to love Jesus more than someone else now? See, what Jesus is doing is working at his foundation. The foundation of Peter's self-righteous morality has eroded. And he's forced to confront the reality. Peter's not really good enough. His effort is not enough. Two more times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? The second time, first time, do you agape love me? The second time, do you agape love me? Do you love me with God kind of love? And Peter's response on these two occasions is, you know that I phileo you. You know that I, I have this strong brotherly love for you, Jesus. And Jesus both times follows up with those First two questions, and Peter's response, you know I brotherly love you. He says, then feed my sheep. But a third time, Jesus asked him the question in verse 17. And here he uses, he uses um, this, this statement to really help a hurting Peter. He says, Peter, he didn't ask, do you have a God kind of love? He says, Peter, do you just have an abiding affection for me? And Peter replies, Lord, you know everything. You know I have a deep and abiding love for you. See, Peter says, Lord, I realize that nothing I could ever do would measure up to the way you love me. But I'm not going to quit. Not anymore. Peter comes out of retirement now. And Jesus declared him fit for the ministry. Why? Because Peter says, I'm not going to quit again. Now that he's learned this, he could do nothing without Jesus. He can't even fish without Jesus. He's now ready to be used by Jesus. 
And the Lord made it so plain that Peter could make the connection between his love for the Lord and his service for him. This is about Peter's motivation. See, when was the last time you stopped and asked yourself, why do I want to serve the Lord? Why do I want to be involved in this ministry? Why do I want to sing? Why do I want to be involved in music? Why do I want to work King's Kids? Why do I want to teach a class? Is it about me or is it because I just love Jesus? If it's about you, you'll quit. The minute you quit, you've answered the question as to your motivation. Only the pure motive of love for the Lord qualified Peter to care for the sheep. Jesus constantly talked about servanthood. Who's going to be the greatest? It's the one who's going to be the servant of all. There's no room for consideration of what is in, what, what is in it for me. Not among servants. Do it for love. Do it for love. Or you might not do it at all. I'll give you a third thought that comes into our thinking. One is, what am I missing? That's an indication your focus is wrong. Two, what's in it for me? Here's a third one. In verse 18 through 22, and by the way, that last statement of Jesus, I, I meant to, to uh, say, Jesus left where Peter should have been. Agape loved him, and he came down to rescue Peter on his level. And he said, Peter, I'll meet you right where you are. You just get humble. You get close to me, and you'll be able to serve me because not of who you are, but because of who I am. I'm glad the Lord will meet you where you are. When you humble yourself and draw near to the Lord, there you find him. But here's the third thing. Even when Peter's saying, I don't want to quit. And he says, he gives Peter insight as to how his life is going to be in the future. And then Peter in verse 20 turns around and he sees John. And Peter says to Jesus in verse 21, what about this guy? You've already told me in verse number 18, my life, my ending isn't going to be too great. But what about John? And Jesus said in verse 22, mind your own business. Follow me. Here's the third thought. When you're about quitting, it's this. What about him? What about them? Why are you always getting on to me, Jesus? What about him? What am I missing? What's in it for me? What about him? The third error that believers make who decide to throw in the towel is looking at others. Christianity is all about having a personal relationship with Christ. The truth is that we compare ourselves with ourselves. We're either going to get the big head or we're going to get ticked off. So Jesus said, verse number 22, follow me. Have you ever stopped to consider the dynamics of the relationship between Peter, John, and Jesus? 
Peter was to be the Lord's choice to be the leader of the disciples, but John was the disciple whom we're told in verse 20 that Jesus loved. Now, let me just put that in perspective. He's not saying that I love John more than I love anybody else. But what he's telling us is, is that John, he got as close to Jesus as he could. See, Jesus loves us. He loves us all. He loves us unconditionally and in an incredible way. John was not just picked out and he was, Jesus was showing him favorites. No, anyone could have, any of those disciples could have been as close to Jesus as they wanted to be and they were. But we just find John who kept reciprocating that love. He received God's love and saw the lavish love of Jesus and he would reciprocate that. But in verse 18 and 19, Jesus tells Peter what the future will hold for him. And Jesus pronounced a solemn prediction that Peter would face death by crucifixion. In old age, Peter was tied to a cross. He had his hands stretched out. And in verse 20 and 22, and in fact, Peter again is what he's saying. What about John? And thank you, Jesus, for giving me bad news. And Jesus' rebuke was pretty sharp. It's none of your business, Peter. It's none of your business. What am I missing? It's a myth that you can ever go back. What's in it for me? The compelling force in your life. It must not be self. It must be the love for the Lord Jesus. What about him? The comparison game, it will always be disappointing. But most of all, don't quit. Don't quit for in so doing, you're going to miss finding out what God's best for you is all about. You may have stopped following Jesus, but now you want to follow him again. You can. When you stopped following Jesus, you did so on your terms. But the returning to Jesus is strictly under his conditions. He is God, you're not. Are you willing to follow Jesus anywhere, at any time, under, under any condition? That is the only way you're going to follow Him. Anywhere, anytime, under any condition. I want to bring this to a close by giving you two examples by way of a poem. It's a little lengthy, but I think it's worth the time. This first one is entitled, The Race. Quit, give up, you're beaten, they shout and plead. There's just too much against you now. This time you can't succeed. And as I start to hang my head in front of failure's face, my downward fall is broken by the memory of a race. And hope refills my weak, weakened will as I recall that scene. For just the thought of that short race rejuvenates my being. A children's race, young boys, young men. How I remember well excitement, sure, but also fear, it was hard to tell. They all lined up so full of hope, each thought to win that race or tie for first, or if not that, at least take second place. 
Their fathers watched from off the side, each cheering for his son. And each boy hoped to show his dad that he would be the one. The whistle blew and off they went, young hearts and hopes of fire to win. To be the hero there was each young boy's desire. One boy in particular, his dad was in the crowd, was running near the lead and thought, my dad will be so proud. But as he speeded down the field across a shallow dip, the little boy who thought to win lost his step and slipped. Trying hard to catch himself, his hands flew out to brace, and mid the laughter of the crowd, he fell flat on his face. So down he fell, and with him hope, he couldn't win it now. Embarrassed, sad, he only wished to disappear somehow. But as he fell, his dad stood up. And showed his anxious face, which to the boy so clearly said, get up and win that race. He quickly rose, no damage done, behind a bit, that's all, and ran with all his mind and might to make up for his fall. So anxious to restore himself, to catch up and to win, his mind went faster than his legs, he slipped and fell again. He wished that he had quit before with one disgrace. I'm hopeless as a runner now. I shouldn't try to race. But in the laughing crowd, he searched and found his father's face, that steady look that said again, get up and win that race. So he jumped up to try again, 10 yards behind the last If I'm going to gain those yards, he thought, I've got to run real fast, exceeding everything he had. He regained eight or ten, but trying so hard to catch the lead, he slipped and fell again. Defeat. He lay there silently. A tear dropped from his eye. There's no sense running anymore. Three strikes, I'm out. Why try? The will to rise had disappeared. All hope had fled away, so far behind, so error-prone, closer all the way. I've lost, so what's the use, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad, who soon he'd have to face. Get up, an echo sounded low. Get up and take your place. You were not meant for failure here. Get up and win that race. With borrowed will, get up, it said. You haven't lost it all, for winning is not more than this, to rise each time you fall. So up he rose to run once more, and with a new commit, he resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been. Still, he gave it all he had and ran as though to win. Three times he'd fallen stumbling. Three times he rose again. Too far behind to hope to win, he still ran to the end. They cheered the winning runner as he crossed first place, head high and proud and happy. No falling, no disgrace. But when the fallen youngster Crossed the line, last place. The crowd gave him the greater cheer for simply finishing the race. And even though he came in last with head bowed low, unproud, 
You would have thought he'd won the race to listen to the crowd. And to his dad, he sadly said, I didn't do so well. To me, you won, his father said. You rose each time you fell. And now when things seem dark and hard and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy helps me in my own race. For all of life is like that race with ups and downs and all. And all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. Quit. Give up. You're beaten. They still shout in my face. But another voice of my heavenly father says, get up and win that race. We may not know exactly what God's plan for our lives now. But you can bet that you will not want to miss it. And you will not. As long as you don't quit and follow me, Jesus is saying. You may have stopped following him, but you can follow him again. I want to give one more poem. This was written by Dr. R.B. Willett. He'll be with us in May for revival meeting. I've always appreciated this. I remember years ago when he wrote it. It's entitled, Go Back to Work. When your converts break your heart, go back to work. When your ministry falls apart, go back to work. When your ministry is just no fun and challenges are done, and no challenges are done, and the way you'd like to run, go back to work. When you've been wronged by a crook, Go back to work. When your Sunday school fellowship is unkind and your disciples rob you blind and no peace or joy you find, go back to work. When your church just doesn't care, go back to work. And no one your load will share, go back to work. The burdens large have grown and no love or grace you're shown and you think you're all alone, go back to work. Each day brings more bad news. Go back to work. When your spirit seems to break, go back to work. When you stumble neath your cross and your gain is turned to loss and you like to say no moss, go back to work. Souls are perishing each hour. Go back to work. God can save them by His power. Go back to work. Faithful servants in their place still are strengthened by His grace and by faith we run the race. So go back to work. God's commission we must keep. Go back to work. Laborers are calling now. Go back to work. Till all knees before Him bow. Go back to work. Rest comes on the other side. When we cross the swelling tide till in heaven we abide. Go back to work. And the best work in all the world was the work that Jesus was about. That's his father's business. Let's stand together, please.